Well, so listen, if you were to ask any five-year-old church kid to tell you what are their favorite Bible stories, I'm certain that near the top of the list for almost all of those kids would be the story of Jonah and the whale, wouldn't it? Every church kid who has grown up hearing church stories is enamored by this biblical narrative of the reluctant prophet who was swallowed up by the great fish. I'm sure that story would be near the top of the list. But if you were to ask that same five-year-old child, if you were to press in a bit and say, tell me what the story means. When, when you read the, or you hear the story of Jonah and the, and the whale, what does that story teach us? What does it really mean? And that five-year-old would probably do a pretty good job of giving you a very colorful description of this reluctant prophet sloshing around in the belly of a fish amongst the seaweed and the fish heads and, and how that he was you know, suffering and struggling in that, in that fish. And while that is the most notable aspect of this book of Jonah, it is not really what the book of Jonah is all about. Jonah in the whale or Jonah in the fish is not really the meaning or the message of the book. The message of the book of Jonah is clearly spelled out for us in one verse, and I want you to underline it. It's in chapter 2 and verse 9. It's the last sentence in that verse. You should underline it. Here's what it says. It says that salvation is of the Lord. That's the message of this book. In fact, I want you to affirm it out loud with me. Will you say it? Salvation is of the Lord. One more time like you mean it. Salvation is of the Lord. Now, as you know, the word salvation means to be delivered or to be rescued. It is when our lives are rescued from sin and from self and from, from the consequences of our sin and the judgment and the penalty of our sin. It is when, the, when God rescues us from our sin or our circumstances, that rescue or salvation he says in verse number 9 of chapter 2, is from the Lord. It comes from him. That w- What it is intended to communicate and what we all should know is that we can't save ourselves. That we have no ability at all to rescue our own lives. Next week in chapter 2, we're going to watch Jonah being cast overboard into the deep sea. And no more than Jonah could have reached back, grabbed himself by his robe, and pulled himself up out of the water, saving himself. No more can you and I do that. We can't save ourselves from ourselves. We can't save ourselves from our circumstances. We can't save ourselves from an eternity without God. We can't save ourselves from our sin. We never could and we never will be able to. Why? Because, say it with me, salvation is of the Lord. It is. When the Bible says salvation is of the Lord, it means that salvation comes from the Lord. It means that if we are rescued or delivered, that deliverance initiated was initiated by God. It was executed by God. It will be completed by God. It is absolutely his work within us. And this is what God wants us to know from these four little chapters in the middle of your Bible Uh, that we call the book of Jonah. Now today, as Chris mentioned, we are beginning this three-week series. It's only three weeks that we're going to be considering uh, these uh, truths. 
And this is also, as he mentioned, our fall life group study for most of our groups. And so my hope is that you are going to be a part of a group and that you'll not only hear sermons on Sunday morning, but you'll sit in a circle with a few other folks sometime during that week and you'll talk about the things that you've heard and learned and talk about how you can apply those things uh, in your life. So if you're not connected to a group, be sure you get some information today in the Life Group Lounge about getting connected. Let me begin by introducing you to Jonah. Can I do that? Some of you may not know a lot about him. And so let me tell you three important things about Jonah just to get you started. First of all, Jonah was a prophet in Israel during the reign of King Jeroboam, who was the king of Israel. And so many of you know that Israel as a nation, 12-tribe nation, was divided following the death of King Solomon. Ten, ten northern tribes, two southern tribes formed literally two nations, the, tribe of, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. And it was just after that division happened, not long after that separation, that God raises up Jonah during the days of King Jeroboam uh, to be his prophet in Israel. That places Jonah on a biblical timeline around 800 to 750 B.C. So if you like to sort of know where in the, in the calendar uh, Jonah was living and, and preaching, it was around 800 to 750 B.C. It's also important for you to know that Jonah was not the lone prophetic voice in his day. He had contemporaries, other prophets, uh, who were in Israel who were prophesying during those years. Specifically, there were two of them that are included in the scriptures. That is the prophet, of, uh, the prophet Hosea and the prophet Amos. Hosea and Amos were his contemporaries, if you will. During the reign of Jeroboam, along with Amos and uh, Hosea, and about 750 BC, this is where we find the book of Jonah. And by all accounts, Jonah is a faithful prophet to God. And he's a beloved prophet to the people. Jonah's prophecies apparently were mostly positive and inspiring and encouraging. And so he was beloved by the people. But our text today in chapter number one is going to show us that the day came in Jonah's life when he decided to call it quits. When Jonah decided that he did not want to speak for God anymore. And so he quit. Jonah chapter 1, let's read it. You follow along, beginning in verse number 1. Jonah 1 verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. And so he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going down to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and he went down into the ship to go with them unto Tarshish. Three times this place is mentioned. Jonah's fleeing to. He went to go there to flee from the presence of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. In fact, notice in verse number one that phrase, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. May I just say, what a privilege, amen, that God would speak to man, that God would reveal himself to man. When the Bible says the word of the Lord 
came, which it says, by the way, numerous times, this phrase is found in the scriptures, it means that the word of revelation or the word of instruction came from the Lord to a person. The Bible says that the word of the Lord came to Abram in Genesis chapter 15. The Bible says the word of the Lord came to Moses and the word of the Lord came to other prophets like uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah and others. The word of the Lord came to David, the Bible says, and the word of the Lord came to Solomon and, of course, in Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's chapter 1, verse 1. You should underline it, the word of the Lord came. But look at chapter 3, verse 1 as well. It says it again, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Underline it there. And then look in chapter 3, verse number 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He's hearing from the Lord and he's responding to the Lord in a negative way to begin with and then ultimately in a positive way. But it's interesting to me when I think about this phrase, the word of the Lord came, how do you think that word arrived? Have you ever thought about it? When the word of the Lord came to Jonah, how did it show up? How did Jonah hear from God? Now, sometimes God would speak to prophets in the Old Testament, speak to people in the Old Testament in dreams. You see this in the book of Daniel a lot, where they would go to bed, they would sleep, and they would dream something in the night. And in the night, in their night dreams, God would reveal himself to them, and they would awaken to follow in obedience to that word from the Lord in their dreams. God would do that sometimes. Sometimes God would appear to them in a, as an angel. The, the angel of the Lord would come and speak to them. Sometimes God would just speak audibly, just out of heaven, sort of like he did when Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven which said, this is my son. God would speak audibly to the prophets. How did he speak to Jonah? Well, the truth is we don't know, right? The Bible doesn't tell us. It just says the word of the Lord came, so we can't really know the answer. But the more important question is, does God still speak? Does God still send his word to people? And if he does, how does the word of the Lord come to us today? If I said the word of the Lord came to Jim, or the word of the Lord came to you, how how are we going to get the word of the Lord? Well, a moment ago when I read these three verses in our text, I closed my reading by saying, this is the word of the Lord And this is how God speaks to us today. Many of you are holding a Bible in your hand. I hope you're holding a Bible in your hand. If you're not holding a Bible in your hand, bring a Bible with you next week because this is the word of the Lord. And this is how he speaks. In fact, the Bible tells us this in the book of Hebrews, chapter number one, where it says that God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. That is through the word, the living word, Christ, and the written word of Christ, our Bibles. And so God spoke. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And in this passage, in these first three verses that we've read, God gave to Jonah a clear command. God gave to Jonah a clear command. And this word of the Lord that came from God to Jonah had two obligations in it. God's clear command had, first of all, this obligation. Look at it in verse number two. Here it is. Arise, arise, and go to Nineveh. Arise and go to Nineveh. 
Now this command that came from God is crystal clear. There's no ambiguity. There needs to be no interpretation. He doesn't have to read commentaries to figure out what God wants. God says, arise and go to Nineveh. Now here's the thing. That command is both urgent and a bit unusual. There's an urgency about it and it is an unusual command for God to give. The urgency is seen in the first word, arise. The word arise literally means get up, go, go now. Here's a translation, don't dilly dally. Now don't go look up the Hebrew, it doesn't really mean that, but that's what it means. Don't dilly dally. I don't want you sitting around thinking about it. I don't want you uh, being, being uh, slouchy or slow about it. I want you to get up, Jonah, and I want you to go. If y'all are listening, shout amen. amen. May God save us from lazy saints. <laughs> May God deliver us from a casual Christianity that saunters along lazily through life, lazily regarding the commands of the Lord. Here's my challenge to you, follower of Christ. Let there be an urgency about you to obey your Lord. Let there be a sense of urgency about you to carry forth his work in your environment, in your world. We ought to be urgent, as God said to, to Jonah, arise and go. It's urgent, but it's also unusual. It's a bit of a strange command. Because he says to Jonah, a Jewish prophet, arise and go prophesy or go preach somewhere other than to the Jewish people. He says, I want you to arise and go to Nineveh. I can find no other example in the Old Testament where God told a Jewish prophet to go to a foreign land a Gentile pagan city and preach this message from God. I can find no other example of this. This is the first time, as far as I can tell, that God said to a Jewish prophet, go to another city, another nation, and preach my word. Which, by the way, makes Jonah the very first foreign missionary leading the way in foreign mission work around the world. He sent him to go to Nineveh. And he says in verse number one, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. You're going to see this description as we go through these four chapters. You'll see this description of Nineveh over and over again. It's a great city. What was so great about it? What, what was so significant about Nineveh that God would say to his premier prophet of the day, pack up, travel 500 miles to go preach this message. What was so important about Nineveh? Write these things down. Number one, Nineveh was significant. It was great in size. Nineveh was by all, in all likelihood the largest city of its day, the most populous city of its day. Archaeologists' shovels have uh, unearthed the foundation of the ancient walls of Nineveh and the, the, the walled city uh, was large for its day, about four square miles within the wall 
of Nineveh, Nineveh, but the city of Nineveh extended beyond the walls, much like in Jerusalem today, the city extends far beyond the walled city. The city of, Jer- of Nineveh was likely 30 miles across from one side to the other when you take in the surrounding homes and community. It was a large city, and because of that, there were a lot of people there. In fact, look at the very last verse of the book. Chapter 4, verse 11, God says, Should I not spare Nineveh, that great city? There it is again, that great city. Wherein there are more than, the King James says, six score thousand persons. That's 120,000 people. Should I not spare Nineveh, where there are more than 120,000 people that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? Why couldn't they discern between their right hand and their left hand? I presume, I think the implication is these are children. These are infants. God says there are 120,000 babies in this city. And if there are 120,000 children, then you can, you can deduce that the population in total would have been 600,000 people or more. It's a vast city first time. So God says it's a great city because of its size. Secondly, Nineveh was a great city in influence. It was an important city. If you read Genesis chapter number 10, you'll discover that Nineveh was actually built among, uh, along the shore of the Tigris River by that famed hunter named Nimrod. You remember the name Nimrod from the book of Genesis? This famous and mighty hunter. And he was the founder of the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh grew to become the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And at the zenith of that mighty empire of the Assyrians, it was all centered, their capital, there in Nineveh. Military power, political power and influence was all there in Nineveh. Go to Nineveh, that great city in size. Go to Nineveh, that great city in influence. Thirdly, go to Nineveh, which is great in sin. Nineveh was great in sin. This is what verse number two says. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse number 2, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it for their wickedness, their evil. Their wickedness has come up before me. What he's saying is the stench of their sin is rising up to me. When he says their sin has come up before me, he says their sin stinks to high heaven. That's what he's saying. You know, the Bible says that when we pray and when we worship, that our prayers and our worship ascend up to God like a sweet fragrance. And that when we are right with God, walking with God, worshiping God, praying to God, it's like that. God says, that's pleasant to me. But in the same way, when there is sin and wickedness, God smells the foul odor of evil. Their sin, he says, has come up before me. And they were infamous for their sin. In fact, the Assyrians, secular history tells us, took great delight, if you can imagine such a thing, they took great delight in ripping the lips off of their conquered warriors in battle. One particular account of a battle waged by the Assyrians tells the story of the great pile of severed heads of their enemies that were laid at the gate of that 
particular city. They were violent and infamous for their violence. And so God says to Jonah with urgency, an unusual command, arise and go to Nineveh. Now the second part of this command, I said that God's command is in two parts. The first part is arise and go. The second part of the command is to cry against it. This is verse number uh, verse 2, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Preach to it. In fact, look at chapter 3 and verse number 2. Here's a little clarity on that. Chapter 3, verse 2, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Go, go tell them what I'm telling you to tell them. <laughs> Listen, you got to know that for a preacher, I'm underlining that verse. Amen. Because this is the call of every preacher. It is to say what God says and not to speak on our own behalf. He says, I want you to go and preach. And Jonah was God's preacher and God sent him to Nineveh to preach. Now here was God's message. The Bible tells us exactly what the preaching was that he wanted Jonah to preach. He says in chapter 1 and verse number 2, I know your wickedness. I see your sin. You're hiding nothing from me. Nothing escapes my notice. I see your sin. And then the Bible tells us in chapter number two and verse, or chapter three rather, and verse number four, that God said, I'm gonna destroy you for your sin. That's the message. I see your sin. I'm gonna judge your sin. Judgment day is coming. Now, the Ninevites paid no attention to God, they didn't care what God thought, they didn't even know God. But here's something you need to know that it doesn't matter. If you ignore God and live as you want, he's not ignoring you. And he will one day call into judgment your life, even though your life never took into consideration his view of your life. God says, go to Nineveh and tell them, I see their sin and I'm going to judge their sin. Now in this, we see that God is the Lord of all nations and that he will judge all sin in every nation one final day. It is the message of God's justice and judgment. But here's, here's the thing that's important to know. That's not all that God said. By the way, if you're glad judgment is not all that God said, would you shout amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's not all that he said. Notice what he says. Look with me in chapter number three and verse number four. Jonah entered the city, went a day's journey. He began preaching. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. There's the judgment. I'm going to overthrow you. Look at the first part. In 40 days, I'm going to overthrow you. Why didn't he say, I'm going to overthrow you today? Today is the day of judgment. Why was that not his message? Here's why. Because God was giving them a space of grace. 40 days that they might hear the word of the Lord and repent. Because God is gracious and merciful and he wants to hold off his judgment. In fact, Jonah knew this. Go over to chapter 4 and look at verse number 2. Where Jonah says of God that you are a gracious God and a merciful God and you are slow to anger and you are of great kindness and you repent of the evil or the judgment that ought to come upon people. This is the justice and the kindness of God. And they are both true of him. And Jonah knew it. 
And so God comes to Jonah, the word of the Lord to Jonah, with an urgency giving him an unusual command that he is to arise and go to Nineveh, and he is to preach to that great city. Now let's close by thinking about the part of this narrative that every five-year-old church kid knows. And that is that Jonah refused to obey the Lord. He did. He said, no way. I'm not doing that. Look at it. Chapter 1, verse number 3. After God said, arise and go to Nineveh and preach. Verse number 3. But Jonah rose up to flee. To flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. He went down into the ship. He wanted to go with them to Tarshish. He wanted to go away from the presence of the Lord. God said, arise and go. And he arose. But not to obey. Not to go do what God said. He arose to flee. He arose to escape from the command of God, to abscond from his responsibilities. And three times in verse number three, it says he was going to Tarshish. Now, we don't know exactly where Tarshish was for sure, but we believe that it corresponds to a city in the ancient world in modern-day Spain, which, think about it, was the most westerly point that he could have gone. Beyond that would have been open ocean. When God said to Jonah, he lived in Gath in the land of Israel. When God said to him, arise, go to Nineveh, Nineveh was, five, Nineveh was 500 miles to his east. But he arose and he went west. And he went down to Joppa, to the port. He found a ship going to Tarshish, which is the farthest point away that he could go, about 2,000 miles that way. He didn't follow God. He went away from God. And had his plan succeeded, he would have been 2,500 miles away from where God told him to go. He simply refused to obey the Lord. Now, before we pile on Jonah too heavy, let me ask you a question. What is it that God has clearly commanded you to do? And you've just said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to let the question settle for a second. Where has God's word, the word of the Lord, came to you? And God said, this is what I want you to do. And you have said, I'm not doing that. And like Jonah, in that regard, we disobey the Lord. Now, the Bible says in verse number three that he arose to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah knew that he could not get away from the presence of the Lord. He knew better than that. It doesn't mean that he's trying to hide from God or somehow God won't be able to follow him there. He knew that the truths that are conveyed in Psalm 139 verse 7 are true. Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where shall I go from your presence? I can't get away from you. So when it says, listen carefully, when it says he, flew, he went to flee from the presence of the Lord, it doesn't mean to get away from God's presence. He couldn't do that. Here's what it means. Y'all, if you're listening, say amen. Here's the picture. The servant stands before the royal, the monarch, the king, the Lord. 
The servant stands at attention, ready to obey any command. Go here, yes, my liege, and they go. Go do that, yes, my Lord, and they go. They stand in the presence of the Lord. And when he said, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord, here's what he's saying, I'm not standing in front of you anymore. I'm not prepared to do what you're telling me to do. So I'm leaving. Now you need to know, we bask in the promise that our Savior has promised to never leave us. But the truth of the matter is, is that when we refuse to obey him, we are determining to leave his presence and to not be his servant in that particular regard. He says he's going to flee from the presence of the Lord. God said, arise, go to Nineveh, preach. And he said, I'm going to Tarshish. I'm not going to do it. What Jonah is saying is, I'd rather quit than obey this command. What Jonah is saying is, I'd rather die than preach to those people. I'm not going. You've got to ask, why? I mean, what's, what is it that would cause him to so defiantly reject the command of his Lord? He'd never done anything like this before. By all accounts, he was a great prophet. Why would he do this? Now, some have said maybe he was afraid. I just mentioned that the Assyrians like to rip the lips off people they didn't like. He knew their violence. He knew the reputation for their violence. Maybe he thought, if I go to Nineveh, they're going to kill me. I don't want to go do that. Maybe, but I don't think that's what was going on. Maybe, Maybe he was a bit afraid. Maybe, more likely, he didn't like them. Truth is, they were evil, wicked people. He didn't want to have anything to do with them. He wasn't interested in them hearing God's message. He said, I'd rather die than associate with those people. Sadly, this is the attitude of the church oftentimes to people in this world that the Bible would describe as wicked. And we as Christians often say, I'm not going to them. I I want nothing to do with them rather than getting God's gracious message to them. Maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe... Maybe he knew that his own people, the Jews, were not listening to God's commands. They were refusing to obey God's commands and repent. And if he goes to Nineveh and preaches and they repent, how poorly that will reflect on the Jews themselves. They'll look awful. He didn't want that to happen. All of those things could have been part of it. But the Bible tells us exactly why he refused to go. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 2. Jonah tells us. Chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish, because I knew that you were a gracious God, and you're a merciful God, and you're slow to anger, and you're a great kindness, and you repent of the evil that you would have done in judging them. He says, I knew that you would forgive them. And you know what? He didn't want them to be forgiven. And he didn't want them to be spared. He wanted them to be judged. He said, why would anybody want that? You remember a moment ago I mentioned that that Jonah was not the only prophet of his day. He had some contemporaries, which were Hosea and Amos. And if you go read the prophecies of Hosea and Amos, you will find that they were prophesying that it was the Assyrians whose capital was Nineveh who in a few years, under Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, God would send to Israel to take Israel captive. He knew 
that these Ninevites and the Assyrians were ultimately going to destroy Israel within about 50 years. And he said, there's no way I'm going to be a part of God sparing those people. I'd rather them be killed than come against my people. And so he said, no way, I am not going to do it. Now, let me close with just a couple of, a couple of points of application. Number one is simply to say that like Jonah, we have all been sent out to share the truth of God's justice and his grace. All of us have. The truths of God's justice and grace, that God is a God of justice and judgment and will judge sin in every nation and in every life, that is true. But the truth that God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and patient and kind, those things are true too. And those things are the gospel. Christ died for our wickedness. Christ rose from the dead to bring us God's mercy and grace. And we have all been sent out to tell that message. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, you shall receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Let me take a quick survey. If you possess the indwelling Holy Spirit, would you shout amen? amen? Jesus said, you get the Holy Spirit, and because you've gotten the Holy Spirit, you shall be my witness. And some of you have said, I'm not going to do that. Like Jonah, we've all been sent out. And like Jonah, we must all decide whether or not we're going to obey. We have to decide. Am I going to go and share his, his message as he's commanded me? Or am I just going to go the other way and close my mouth and just let happen what happens? Well, I hope you're going to decide to obey him. Let me close by giving you four ways, real quickly, that you can do that. Number one, you can begin to pray. I hope you have a list of people in your mind, at least in your mind, maybe written down, that you pray for. and They need the Lord, and, and that burdens your heart, and so you lift them to God in prayer. That's a way that you can begin that first step of carrying God's message to them. Number two, you can invite people to come and see to get them under the sound of the gospel. I could do that, right? I mean, I could, I, I could try to pray for my lost friends or even lost people that I don't even like. I could pray for them and I could invite them. I could do that. I could try to not sit by myself at church and have somebody with me that needs Jesus. Maybe you would say, I want to obey God's command. And so I could... I could serve at our East Campus for a few weeks or a few months. I could do that. I mean, we're, we're going to go to East Asheville in three weeks and launch a church where we're going to reach people we can't reach right now. 76,000 people, most of whom don't know Christ. And we're going to reach them in, in there with the gospel. And you know what? You might say, I could set up a chair. <laughs> I could go early on a Sunday morning, set up chairs, and then come over here for worship. I could do that. And the chair I set up, I'll pray over it that God will put somebody in it this morning They'll hear the gospel. I could do that. I could go over there and hold a baby for an hour during a service so that their mom and dad could sit in church and hear the gospel. That's something I could do to obey God's command. Maybe you would say, I, you know, I, I want to I share the gospel with people myself. I want to be like Jonah and go and tell it. But I don't know how. Well, you could register for our We Share class coming up in a couple weeks and you could just say, you know what, my church trains People how to share the gospel. It's crazy that I don't know how. I go to a church. 
that three times a year hosts a class where I can learn. How crazy is that that I don't know how? I can sign up for that class. We've all been called to go. And like Jonah, every one of us have to decide whether or not we're going to go and do it. And I hope you'll decide that you will. Now, if you decide you're not, God's got a fish with your name on it. (laughs) And while that fish, we'll see it next week, while that fish was God's grace to Jonah, it was not necessarily a pleasant experience.